fulfilled his promises spoken to Jeremiah during the exile. Anybody believe that God fulfills his promises today? Has God fulfilled any promises in your life? (laughs) Things that you were holding on to and waiting for and expecting from God and he answered your call? So this series draws out the ways that God invites all of us to participate in building his kingdom. Let me say that again more clearly. God is calling us to build his kingdom and not our own. See, oftentimes the problem and the difficulty that we face in life has to do with the fact that we're too busy trying to build our own kingdoms. We're too busy trying to build our own lives and we're too busy trying to make things fit and work the way that we think they should work and fit and to have things the way that we expect them to be. But God says, no, you're called as a believer in Christ to build my kingdom, not your own. So that's what we're going to be exploring in this series is how is it that we build God's kingdom? How do we participate in the building of God's kingdom as we pray and we seek God to move on the earth so that his name might be made famous throughout the whole earth and that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's where we're going today. Nehemiah points us to that and he shows us what that looks like. So I want to I got a message titled for you today is this build great faith build great faith so oh y'all forgot remember when i announced the title of the sermon y'all supposed to go woo, right because i spent a lot of time thinking about that all week and if you want to encourage your pastor and help him out a little bit you can give a little shout out when i announced the, the title of the sermon okay so the title of the sermon is called build great faith yeah, there we go there it is all right there it is. All right. So Nehemiah, <laughs> he not only fasted and prayed, but he also, watch this, took the initiative to be a vehicle of change to bring forth God's plan of rebuilding and restoration. See, it's one thing to pray, it's one thing to fast, and those things are extremely important, they're vital. We talked about that all last week of how when difficulty comes, Nehemiah's first response was to pray, and then his second response was to go into a season of praying and fasting. So those things are vitally important for us as we are working towards building God's kingdom here on the earth, but there's another piece to it that's required, and that's faith. See, Nehemiah here, he didn't just fast, he didn't just pray, he took initiative to be a vehicle of change. And, 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 and we too, we play a part in God's solution by being agents of change here in our community, in our city, and in our culture. So, by, by being, here's how we do this. We do this by being authentic and courageous. 
See, we have to rely on God and press through when times are difficult. We're going to find out throughout this series that Nehemiah faced some difficulty from people when he was trying to do what God has called him to do. And if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, then you have faced some difficulty from people who were close to you in your life as you were just trying to live for Jesus and do the things that he commanded you to do. They gave you a hard time about it. Tell you things like, it don't take all of that. It don't require all of that. You in church all the time? Those are things that people say to us. But we have to fix, we, we'll, we'll find out in this series and in this passage today that building great faith takes initiative. See, Nehemiah, he served in the royal court of the Persian Empire as a cupbearer. I talked about all that last week, but one day Nehemiah decided that he was going to take a risk and engage King Artaxerxes about the condition of his homeland. And see, Nehemiah, he didn't just pray and fast and mourn for Jerusalem. He decided to be a part of God's plan of rebuilding and restoring the city. So likewise, as we go through life, Many situations that are not right will impact our hearts like issues of injustice, issues of poverty and financial need, and issues facing those that are hurting and suffering. So what we're to do is that we're we're to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus instructed us to do, right? To pray that the, his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Anybody long for the kingdom of God here on earth? I mean, his kingdom is a beautiful one. It's one of great power. It's one of justice. It's one of mercy. We ought to long for the kingdom of God to come here on the earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, he says, there'll be no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more dying, no more sickness. And we should long for those things here on the earth. So we're to pray for his kingdom to, be come, to, 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 to come and for his will to be done on the earth. However, we are also to engage the issues uh, God has put on our hearts in the name and love of Jesus Christ. So there are some issues that are stirring in your hearts and in your minds, particular things that God is calling you to do and to use and leverage your influence to make a change and make a difference in that we have to rise up and build to begin to see those things happen. So listen, when we see this, we have to engage those issues in our different spheres of influence. Walking in the good works that God has created us to do, like Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us. So Nehemiah, though, he had been preparing for his upcoming meeting with the king by asking God, give me success. See, remember that song a few years ago, I just want to be successful? I don't remember the dude's name. He's like, I just want to be, I just want to be successful. He was whining on the song because he wanted to be successful and all this stuff like that. But like, as believers, we get to pray to God that we can be successful in the things that he has called us to do. 
it's okay for us to pray that. Like, it's okay for you to ask God to give you success in the, in the, in the sphere of influence that you're working in to try to see things happen. Like, we, it's okay for us to pray that God would make us successful as a church that, so that we go out and we reach the least, the last, the lost, and the left out in the city of Wilmington. It's okay that we would pray for success. It's okay for us to pray that God would fill the seats of this place with worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's okay for us to pray for the success of the kingdom of God in the sphere of influence that he's given to us. So we got to pray. We got to ask that God would give us success, and but we got to be specific about it. Because Nehemiah prayed in chapter 1, he says, give me success, grant me success, make your service successful today by granting me favor in the presence of the king. So on, on this particular day, though, Nehemiah, he was taking the wine to the king because he was the cupbearer and he carried the wine to the king like he had a little napkin over his arm, like the little, what are those, sommeliers, right, where they, they bring you the wine and stuff like that. He was one of those, kind of, sort of. He just had to taste it to make sure the king didn't die. Uh, but on this particular day, he was taking that, and it says that his heart was filled with sadness because of the condition of his people and his city. Does your heart break for the things of God in your city? Does your heart break when you see suffering in your community? Does your heart break when you see poverty all around you? Does your heart break when you see injustice happening on a regular, consistent basis, systemically and personally? Does your heart break for the things that God's heart would break for? See, and if our hearts don't break for those things, then we'll never be able to build anything at all. We'll just continue to look at things and say, that's their problem. That has nothing to do with me, and I don't want anything to do with that. I'm just going to move somewhere where I don't have to deal with this stuff. But the reality is you deal with this kind of stuff everywhere. There's brokenness everywhere. I don't care if you came up in the suburbs. I don't care if you came up living by the beach. There's brokenness every single place that exists. Inner cities are just more pronounced in their brokenness. But we got to stop acting like there's only brokenness in the inner city. No, there's brokenness everywhere. Like, and we have to pursue after the brokenness in our communities and our hearts have to break for the things of God. So, but let me clue you in this. The, the, the Persian kings, like you, They didn't have anything around them that would cause them to be unhappy. So you could not come before the king with a sad face and you couldn't come before a king or a leader in the Persian Empire and not be happy and joyful all the time. So this was not Nehemiah's, uh, it was not his mode of operation. Like he was normally very jovial and happy in the presence of the king or else you could have you could have been killed for that. He could have had his head lopped off and his head would have been rolling and the wine would have been spilling and all that kind of stuff. So you, you, you had to be happy in the presence of the king. And isn't that sort of 
a, a, a grace of God that we can come to God sometimes and we're just not happy. Even though he's the king of the universe, he doesn't go and chop our heads up for not being happy in his presence. But instead, he invites us to have joy that exceeds our happiness so that we can continue to pursue the things that he's called us to and to have joy in him so that we don't have to be lagging behind and have his presence in our lives so that we can continue to pursue after him. So Nehemiah, he's filled with sadness because of the condition of his city, but he had never come before the king like that before. So the king asked him, he said, Nehemiah, what's going on with you? Like, why why are you sad? And so, you know what Nehemiah didn't do? He didn't get dramatic. He didn't go, oh, the city is burning down. Oh, this thing's going crazy. Like, no, he didn't do that. And he didn't try to hide his heart either. He didn't go, no, I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm straight. Like, don't worry about me. I'm going to be okay. Like, he didn't do none of that. But what he did was he was authentic. And he presented himself authentically before the king. And he said, listen, how am I supposed to be when my, when my hometown is in ruins and, and the walls are being broken and the bodies are, are left unburied? So as we as we seek to impact the world, we we must do it from a place that is real and authentic. Hear me. Like people we think people aren't aren't smart. Like people are very keen and aware about how you approach them. And when we approach people from a place that is unauthentic and and, and a place that's not real, they can smell that from a mile away. Like, they can smell when you're just there to get a photo op. Like, they can smell when you're just there to serve them food so that you can get the check box off on your list of having done good works for the week. Like, they can sense that from a mile away. So as we seek to impact the world, we got to be real and authentic. And so as soon as the king asked why Nehemiah's heart was so sad, fear came over him. Verse 2 tells us that. That, that fear came over Nehemiah. And because of that fear, he, he doesn't choose, he, he chose to overcome that fear by stepping forward and taking a risk to share his situation with the king. So he didn't cower back because of his fear, but instead he stepped into his fear because he had believed and trusted in something that God told him that he wanted him to do. And that was to go and to restore the walls and to help build the city back up. And when you've got a mission from God, when you've got a calling on your life from God, fear shouldn't be able to stop you. See, when God has called you to something, when God has pointed you in the direction of something that he wants you to do, you can walk in the face of kings, you can walk in the face of enemies, and you can stand on the thing that God has called you to because of the calling in your life. See, often when we decide to be agents of change, fear will rise up against us. Though the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, God encourages his people not to be slaves to fear, but rather to live boldly and courageously. Joshua chapter 1 tells us that. But here's the thing that I want us to note. The fear did not vanish. It didn't vanish from Nehemiah before he took the risk. See, oftentimes we wait for fear to go away before we do the thing that God tells us to do. Uh, there's this little book that I love. It's called Do It Afraid. 
and at, at times, like, you've just got to step into something when you're afraid. If you, if you watch, uh, like, like I do, I like to watch a lot of documentaries and all that stuff like that. And I watch stuff on Navy SEALs and stuff like that. And they talk about how they're never not afraid. Like, they're afraid when they go and jump into a, a, a combat zone. Like, they're afraid. But they use that fear to power them and to accelerate them to do the mission that they're called to do. And that's the same thing that we have to do is that we've got to take fear and turn it into faith and allow us to step into things. And rather than being fearful, we've got to be willing to be bold and courageous and step into the thing that God is calling us to do. So if we allow fear to hold us back and paralyze us, we can't function as agents of change for God's purposes on the earth. Oswald Chambers, uh, a theologian, he says that a great deal more failure is the result of an excess of caution than of bold experimentation with new ideas. The frontier of the kingdom of God the, the, the frontiers of the kingdom of God were never advanced by women and men of caution. See, we, we have to be women and men who pursue after the things of God and take on new frontiers with boldness and courage and instead of pursuing after things with caution all the time. I can't tell you how many people I talk to and they're so afraid, they're so cautious about doing things or even like making decisions about doing things. Like they don't even know which direction they want to go because they're allowing fear to control their lives. There's no way for you to break through and break ground and build the thing that God's calling you to do if you do it, if you don't have boldness and courage in the midst of that. So Nehemiah, right, he, he shares his heart and his concern over the condition of, of Jerusalem with the king. And in response, Artaxerxes, he asks this question. He says, what is it that you want? See, most of us wouldn't even know how to answer that question. <laughs> like, we talk a big talk about stuff, right? But when it really comes down to it and the question comes up like, okay, cool, what do you need to do that? We don't even know because we haven't spent the time that's necessary to hear from God, number one, and to think through the things that we would need to accomplish what it is that God is calling us to accomplish, and see, because Nehemiah spent four months praying and fasting and mourning, he had come up with some thoughts about how to get the thing accomplished. Like we, we hear and we say, you know, I got a call from God on my life and God's calling me to do this. And they say, okay, cool. How are you going to go about it? Crickets. Like we don't know because we haven't spent the appropriate amount of time with God in order to be able to answer those kinds of questions. So here's what Nehemiah does. God is answering, rather than him immediately listing off all the things on his heart that he had prayed about in those four months and desired to do, what he did, and, and Nehemiah is such a powerful lesson for us when it comes to dealing with life. Instead of just listing off stuff, Nehemiah prays to God again. And see, what he didn't do... <laughs> He didn't say, hold on, king. And then he's like, go and went back into his prayer closet and said, 
you know, let me ask God again. Like, no, he he threw up a he threw up a prayer. <laughs> like he threw up a prayer to God. And he didn't close his eyes long, like he didn't go, mm, let me think about that. Like, no, like, no, he just said, God, give me an answer. Like, help me here. Like, because if he would have closed his eyes for too long, the king probably would have thought he was trying to commit treason against them. He would have chopped his head off. So he didn't he didn't he didn't just go and go somewhere else to pray, but he he sent up a prayer right there. How many times have you, you've been in situations where stuff is going on and you, you don't know what to do, like, and you're sitting there and you're frazzled and you can't figure it out, but then your mind is blinking, you won't pray. Nehemiah is an excellent lesson for us that in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of circumstances, in the presence of potential danger and death, we should cry out to God. So he doesn't. He addresses, here's what he does. He, you, you got to address the king of kings before you address the king. Like, if you're not addressing the king of kings, the one who's got rulership and authority over the rest of the kings, because all of rulers are in the palm of God's hand. He's controlling them. They're just at his disposal. He's using them how he wants to use them. So we got to stop freaking out about leaders and stuff like that and things not going the way that we think they're supposed to go. And, oh, my God, you're doing this. Like, no, listen, he's in the palm of God's hand. God's using him according to his purposes. And he's going to do his will is going to be accomplished at the end no matter what. So, Nehemiah, in his mind, he just says a quick prayer. And as we seek to be instruments of God's change within the world, we have to constantly pray. Like, this stuff seems elementary. Like, and at one level it is, but at another level it's very deep. Like, you need to pray constantly. Before stepping out, as you step out, after you step out, like you need to pray. Like when you walk into that interview, before you walk into that interview and you sitting out in that little hallway with other people who don't know what they're doing either, like you got to sit out there and you got to pray. When you get in there in that interview, when you're trying to figure out what to say to this person who's interviewing you and she's looking at you crazy, like what you about to do, how you going to help my company, you got to pray. And after you walk out of that joint, like guess what you got to do? You got to pray. Our lack of prayer often signifies our reliance upon ourselves rather than on God. See, see, our strength is not what brings about the kingdom of God. It's God's power flowing through us as we pray and step out in faith and obedience that allows circumstances and situations to change. See, we don't pray because we feel like we got it. We feel like we good. Like, we feel like we good enough to get back in the game. Like, we like Kevin Durant coming back too early. Like, <sighs> too soon? That was too soon. I'm sorry. Too soon. My bad. Sorry. Too soon. Extra sketch. Forget I said that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I do. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, we... we we can't just rely on our own power and our own strength. We've got to rely on the power of God. And so after his quick prayer, Nehemiah makes this request to the king to rebuild the walls. And then the king questioned, how long are you going to be gone? <laughs> and so Nehemiah, he set a time for his absence in verse 6. Like, you, people, like, people talk about doing great things and doing things for God, and they don't even have a clue about how it's supposed to happen or how it's going to take place. 
like they have have no strategic plan. Like I, I, I coach a lot of um, church planters, guys who are looking to start new churches and stuff like that. I coach a lot of them, and uh, I hope they're not listening to this. <laughs> they probably are. <laughs> but I want to. I, I ask them. I'm like, where, like, where's your strategic plan? And they go, what's that? I'm like, man, like you haven't surveyed your city, like you haven't like. You you haven't gone out and talked to people like you you don't know what the demographics are of your city like you don't know what how things are supposed to like they they, they don't but they're just like everybody else <laughs> like we have all these plans and 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 hopes but we've got no plan for how to see it come to pass. Nehemiah had a plan like he knew long, how long it was going to take him to get from here to there like he had a timeline even though he didn't have a specific time he had a, a certain timeline and things that he wanted to accomplish before his return so the king was satisfied with his answer and so he granted his servant he's granted Nehemiah's wish and after after that Nehemiah didn't just rush out of the room excited that he had been granted an opportunity that he had been praying for See, the problem is, is that oftentimes we hear a yes from God and we think that means a now from God. See, a yes from God isn't always a now. And we've got to know the difference between when God is saying, yes, take your time, build, learn, discover, design. And when he's saying just now, get ready to go. We got to know the difference between his yes and his now. And see, the problem, we, we get up and we go running after stuff. And what happens? We go ahead of God and we start fumbling and we tripping over ourselves. And then we look back at God like, how can this thing work? You said this is going to work. Well, you went ahead of God and you didn't wait on his timing for him, for him to tell you exactly what you needed to do and how you needed to do it. You went out there all unprepared. See, Nehemiah, he... He needed some stuff before he went out there. Like he needed some safe passage before he got out there. Like he knew that there were some enemies that were still out there who were going to try to come after him and stop him and, and, and take him over. He knew that he needed some safe passage, so he asked the king to send a delegation with him. He knew that you can't just build a wall with nothing. You need some materials to build a wall. And he was just a cupbearer. It wasn't like he had stacks of wood in his backyard. Like, he, he needed some materials. So he asked the king, send me with some materials. Oftentimes we go out there with a hope and a prayer. We haven't prepared to rebuild. We haven't prepared to do anything. We haven't prepared anything at all. So he continued to go forward. And he made some additional requests. So when we step out, to bring about change, we and, and we experience small victories, like the king saying yes, we got to be careful not to settle and quit on that spot. See, oftentimes we, we, we settle for certain things. We settle for certain relationships. We settle for certain uh, uh, financial situations. We settle for certain people like... 
in our lives like, oh, well, at least they came to church with me this Sunday, and we're just happy with that. No, God is saying that I want to save them. I want to see them walking with me and worshiping me and living for me in the fullness and abundance of life that I've promised to them, and we just get happy and settled with the fact that they showed up to church with us this week. That's a small victory. It is. But we can't get settled there. We got to be we got to be careful not to settle, settle but rather we we got to continue to press on and pursue even greater opportunities to bring real and lasting impact. When I planted this church, when I started this church, I told people, I said, I've got a 30 year vision for this city. It's not a two year vision because the work that God is calling us to do is going to take some time. And like anything else that lasts, anything else that's good, anything else that's worth anything, it takes some time to make it. See, we want instant stuff all the time. We want everything right then, right there, how we want it, when we want it. And we won't wait and hold on long enough to receive the full benefit and full weight of what God is trying to give us because we're settling for lesser opportunities for impact when we can have deeper and greater impact in the lives of people in our communities. So the end of Nehemiah uh, chapter 2, verse 8 he describes the outcome. It describes the outcome of Nehemiah's meeting with the king. And it says that in verse eight, it says, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Anybody in here know that if it wasn't for the hand of God on your life, the things that are going on in your life right now, they wouldn't be happening like that because, like, it would be bad for you if God's hand wasn't on you, keeping you and protecting you and loving you and guiding you in the direction that you should go. Nehemiah, he knew it. He said, listen, because God's gracious hand was on me, that's why the king didn't chop my head off. It was because of God's grace. And the reason the king consented to, to all of Nehemiah's requests was not because Nehemiah was persuasive. See, we think that we can just get in there and start talking. We think that we can get in there and just start swagging on people. Like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? I graduated summa cum laude. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm out here. Like, we, like, okay. Like, that doesn't mean anything. If it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for his grace, you wouldn't be in the spot that you're in. You gotta stop pretending. Like we got to where we are on our own strength. You did not. And at the same time, we got to stop looking at people in lesser situations and thinking that they are just in there because they won't necessarily do anything for themselves. That's not the case. And so as we pray and courageously step out to rebuild and restore God's original purpose in a dark and hurting world, we will only succeed if God's good and gracious hand is upon us. So in the midst of that, here's what we got to do. We've got to build some great faith. And the first thing that we've got to have is that we've got to have the faith to wait. See, in, in the beginning of chapter 2, it's now the month of Nisan, and, and he, Nehemiah has been waiting for four months at this point before he had an opportunity to talk to the king. And see, we've got to have the faith 
in order to wait for God to say go and for God to give us an opportunity for the things that he's calling us to do. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 says that it is through faith and perseverance that we inherit the promises of God. See, it's not through our hard work and strength that we inherit the promises of God. It is through faith and perseverance, i.e. waiting, that we inherit the promises of God. Isaiah 28 says that those who believe, they won't make haste. So if you really believe in what God has said, if you really trust in what God has said, then you won't rush into stuff. If you're really trusting and believing what God says, then you won't be hasty and run into things that aren't necessary. And it's when it's not necessarily your time to be in that thing. So we must learn how to wait and pray. See, some of the passages that encourage my heart, Exodus chapter 14, when it says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. See, sometimes we just got to hold up and stand back and watch God work and watch God save and watch God deliver and watch him do the things that he does best. Ruth chapter 3, it says to sit still until you know that the matter will turn out right. See, oftentimes we, we run in like we're running ahead and we don't, we don't have the faith to wait because we're running ahead of stuff. We're, we're trying to get ahead of things and we don't do what Psalm 46 says, that be still and know that he is God. See, some of the difficulty in your life is because you're not recognizing God for who he is. And see, what happens is God will not allow himself to be outdone by anybody. He's jealous. He's a jealous God and he's worthy of all glory and honor. And he's not going to let people take his place or circumstances or money or anything fill his place. He's going to he's going to put you in a position where you just got to sit back and be still and know that he's God, because oftentimes we don't recognize him for who he is. If this was 1990, I would say you better recognize but it's not 1990. <laughs> but listen, we got we got to recognize. Like we got to recognize who God is. We got to recognize his power and his might in our life and the fact that he is sovereign. That's a big theological word that just means that he's in control of everything. So when we wait on the Lord in prayer. Listen to this. When you wait on the Lord in prayer, you're not wasting time. You're investing it. See, we, we've got to know how to invest our time properly. See, oftentimes we waste time by trying to run and make things work for us when we won't make the investment of prayer and watch that thing begin to multiply and flip for us and it begin to grow and we see exponential growth because we've been investing our time in prayer because prayer can do what your hands and your feet cannot do. Prayer can work out what your hands and your mind cannot work out. So if you invest and make the proper investment investment of prayer you can watch that thing double up and you can watch that thing grow and multiply and at the end of the day you'll be sitting back and you'll see man i made a good investment by praying we've got to invest our time in prayer we're not wasting it it's an investment so we the next thing we got to do we got to have faith first you got to have faith First, you got to have faith to wait. 
And then next, you've got to have faith to ask. See, we can have faith to ask when we contrast this earthly throne of Artaxerxes from, to the heavenly throne of God. See, Nehemiah had to wait for an invitation before he could share his burden with the king. But we can come to the throne of grace at any time with any need. Artaxerxes saw the sorrow on Nehemiah's face. But our God sees our hearts and not only knows our sorrows, but he also feels our sorrows as well. He says we have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the infirmities and afflictions of our hearts. See, people approaching the throne of an earthly king, they got to be very careful what they say, lest they anger the king. That's even sometimes your parents. They got a throne, like, you got to be careful how you approach them and ask them stuff. (laughs) But God's people can tell him whatever burdens them. Like, You don't scare God when you go up to him crying and yelling. You don't scare him. He is unmoved by that. Because he's in control and he knows what you need. Just like your parents will tell you, you'll be okay. You'll get over it. But God is saying, hey, listen, I got a better plan for you. Just hold on. You can never be sure of the mood of human leaders and parents, and dads. Sometimes we moody. Amen, dads in here. We can admit and be honest that we moody sometimes. But you can always be sure of God's loving welcome. He will always receive you with open arms. So during those four months of waiting, Nehemiah thought, he thought the matter through and he knew exactly how He would approach the project and all this stuff. So his reply to the king can be summarized in these two requests. Send me and give me. See, we cannot be afraid to ask what we need. When God has sent us somewhere, we can, we can, we can be sure to ask him to give us what we need in order to accomplish what he's called us to. See, when Jesus, here's what I know, when Jesus sent his disciples out to minister, he first gave them, what did he do? He first gave them the authority that they needed in order to do the job, and then he promised to meet their every need. That's in Matthew chapter 10. You can go read it later. As, as As we go forth and serve the Lord, we have all of his authority behind us. That's Matthew chapter 28. He says, all authority in heaven has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples. So we've got all the authority of God behind us as we go out to pursue his purposes and his plans for our lives. So what does that mean? We don't have to be afraid. That's good news, y'all. We don't got to be afraid. And we don't have to be afraid and we can have the faith to challenge what needs to be challenged. Verse 9 says this, and I'm closing. I'm, I'm, I'm closing out here. Verse 9, it says this. It says that he went to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent officers of the infantry and cavalry with him. 
when Sanballat, <clears throat> Horonite, and, and Tobiah, the Ammonite of, official, heard that someone had come to pursue the prosperity of the Israelites, and they were greatly displeased. See, some people are just going to be displeased with your prosperity. Like, people don't want to see you doing good. Like, nobody wants to see you winning. They don't want to see you doing well. They don't want to see you accomplishing anything. They don't want to see that happen. And they're going to do everything within their power to make sure that you come to nothing. They want to make you, make, uh, uh, make you good for nothing. That's what that word to be displeased means. It means to make good for nothing. And so Nehemiah, he saw, he saw what he needed to see. As he went out and he surveyed and investigated the land, he saw all that he needed to see, and he saw it at night. See, part of what made him a good leader was that he had the ability to see potential as well as problems. And we can't just rush into stuff. And then as we rise and build, we have to challenge at times friends and foes, followers and fighters. See, Nehemiah in chapter 7, in verse 17, it says that, so he said to them, you see the trouble we are in in Jerusalem, that Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a disgrace. Then he told them how the gracious hand of his God had been on him and what the king had said to him and they responded he's talking to the leaders of israel here they had responded and said let's start rebuilding and their hands were strengthened to do this great work but that wasn't the end of it sanballat and tobiah they started mocking him see there are times when You're after the thing that God has called you to, and people will start to mock you. Who do you think you are? You ain't nothing. You're just some kid from Wilmington. What you think you got going on? You think you're going to do something? Huh? You ain't going to do nothing. But see, we serve a God who has called us by faith. To do the things to build his kingdom so that his name will be made famous throughout the whole earth. And when God has called you, he will empower you to do what he's called you to do. And we've got to believe that in our hearts and we've got to know that that God is the great builder. And because one day, 2,000 years ago, He accomplished a plan that he had devised before the foundations of the world, a plan that he has set into motion to redeem us back to himself, to redeem us in a relationship with him because we were far off from God and separated from him because of our sin. And God, the great builder, God, the great designer, the one who built and he does, he does everything perfectly and wonderfully. He sent his son, his only son, the scripture says, into the world to die for us because we needed a sacrifice and a substitute to pay the penalty of our sins that we deserve to pay. And that was Jesus who paid the debt he did not owe. 
because we owed a debt we could not pay. And he died for us on the cross for our place. Maybe you're